0: Welcome to my new podcast series, The Real Deal on Drugs. It's great to be with you. Over the next 10 episodes, I hope to answer many of the questions that young people have asked me about alcohol and other drugs. If you've heard me speak at your school, you would already know that I'm not here to lecture or tell teens what to do. At some point, everyone has to make their own decisions about what they choose to do or not to do in this area. But it's important that whatever decision is made, it's based on the best information possible. I'm going to try and avoid getting into too much scientific jargon and research findings if I can possibly help it. And I'm certainly not gonna be talking through a whole pile of short-term and long-term effects of different drugs. There's so much written about this topic that's available for you guys to access, far more than in the past, and not all of it is great. It can be really difficult to sort through it all, whether it's on the internet, or you get sent it through to you via social media. Working out what is true and what isn't is tough. I don't claim to be perfect, and I sometimes get things wrong, and I will certainly admit to any mistakes I may make. But I will do my very best to give you guys the best quality and up-to-date information I can. Anyone can listen, but it's important to remember that what is being talked about is done so with young people in mind. I'll be covering some of the same material you may have already heard if you've heard me speak at your school but here i've got the time to dig a little bit deeper and of course if you have friends who haven't heard me and you think they may be interested you could share this podcast with them all i'm really interested in is trying to make sure that young people are as safe as possible i hope that what you're going to hear in this series will help you and your friends when it comes to making decisions particularly when it comes to looking after each other if something should go wrong. So let's get started. And I thought I'd start my first podcast by explaining why I do what I do and why my approach to talking to young people about alcohol and other drugs is different. My cousin David died from a heroin overdose in the first half of 2007. He was 34 years old. You often read about troubled young people, and that definitely described David. Red-haired and freckled, he had always been self-conscious and really didn't know where he fitted in the world. When my family discovered that he was using heroin in 2000, I was flown to the UK to try and help him get onto some sort of drug treatment program. We immediately bonded. David had always had problems, but in those final few years that I got to know him, I found him to be a wonderful, caring human being. Drugs had been a big part of his life for some time, and he was fascinated with what I did for a living. He loved asking me questions about a whole range of substances and just wanted more and more information. Like most people who use drugs, he had no desire to hurt himself. And although his behaviour could be extremely self-destructive, he was keen to find out as much as he could about the story behind a range of drugs so that things would not go wrong. David was a great success story in so many ways. Although he had relapses, he found real happiness in the last year or two of his life. He had met someone, and the last time I saw him, he told me that his life had never been so together. Six months before he died, he had saved enough money to travel overseas with the girl he cared so much about, and his life appeared to be heading in the right direction. We will most probably never really know what went wrong, but regardless of what happened, I know he's in a better place. He told me over and over again that he would have loved to have been given the opportunity to hear some of the information I was sharing with him when he was younger. In one of our many conversations, I asked him what he thought about the drug education he'd received from school, and one thing that he said completely changed the rest of my life. They kept telling me what they thought I should know instead of what I actually wanted to know. From that day on, I started to change how I presented to young people particularly in terms of the messaging I developed. It's no wonder that young people don't listen to us when it comes to this area. So much of the information we provide is designed to shock and scare. We rarely, if ever, ask teens what they want to know, what they actually want to hear. When I started to go into schools and ask young people what information was likely to make a difference, the overwhelming response was, you wanted to know how to look after each other. What do you need to do if something goes wrong? I really do believe that if we give you information like that, you're more likely to listen and take it on board. We know the best way to keep young people safe in any area is to ensure that you plan ahead. If we give you information, you can be aware of all the potential risks and be prepared. Now, it's important to remember that the best way to avoid something going wrong with alcohol and other drugs is to not use them. But sadly, that's not going to work for everyone So making sure you're all armed with the best quality information, as well as little tips and strategies to keep you and your friends safer is what I try to do. So what am I going to talk about today? Well, I'm going to look at the importance of never putting someone to bed to sleep it off. The practice of putting someone to bed to sleep it off has been around for as long as alcohol has been consumed And most times, the worst thing that happens is that the person wakes up the next morning feeling a little worse for wear or covered in their own vomit. Sadly, however, that is not always the case, with some drunk people throwing up during the night resulting in them choking on their own vomit. Unfortunately, alcohol can affect the nerves responsible for the gag reflex, meaning that when you put a drunk person to bed to sleep it off, instead of the vomit being expelled as it normally would be, It sits at the back of the throat, resulting in the person choking to death. Others simply stop breathing after being put to bed due to alcohol poisoning or an alcohol overdose. That is, they've drunk so much that parts of the brain that control basic life support functions, such as breathing and heart rate, just shut down. Many years ago, a year 12 girl approached me after my talk, very distressed. All she could keep on saying was, I should have done more. I, I should have done more. She had heard me the year before and, sadly, had had to face a situation with her older boyfriend that put her into a terrible position. They had gone to a party and one of the older guys they were with became very drunk. His friends, all older than she was, wanted to put him to bed, but she protested and said that she would look after him. Unfortunately, it wasn't too long before the young man slipped into unconsciousness and she realised that she wasn't equipped to take care of him and that he needed an ambulance. When she told her boyfriend and the others that they should call triple zero, they laughed at the situation and told her that he often got smashed and that all they needed to do was to let him sleep it off. She told me that she tried to stop them, but she finally gave up and left him with them. The next morning, her boyfriend went to wake up the young man and he was dead. He had choked on his own vomit during the night. She had done her very best to do the right thing, but it can be extremely difficult to fight people in this kind of situation. The only thing she could have done possibly is to have bypassed her boyfriend and his mates and called triple zero without telling them. But that's a tough call for anyone to make. At this point, I'm sure some of you are thinking, but what if they want to go to bed? Many of us have looked after drunk people who are just exhausted and want to fall into bed, particularly if they've been feeling unwell for a while. I believe there are three simple tests that you can use when looking after a drunk friend to see whether you are able to put them to bed and be reasonably sure that they will be safe. The three tests, or even better, three questions are, firstly, can they walk? Then, second, can they talk? And finally, can they answer a question? These provide a very brief assessment of how drunk a person really is. Let's look at them a little more closely. So firstly, can the person walk? Now we're talking just a few steps here, not a marathon, and they need to do it unassisted. If they can't walk, they still need to be monitored closely. Putting them to bed at this time is not advised. The second one, can they talk? They don't need to have a quality conversation with you here, but you certainly need to know that they can speak and let you know where they are, preferably in a language you can understand. And finally, can they answer a question? The best question to ask them is something like, what is your full name or where do you live? If they don't know what their name is or where they live, once again, it's not a good idea to put them to bed. If they can pass these three simple tests, you should be able to put them to bed with a reasonable certainty that they'll be fine in the morning. It is important, however, that you make sure you put them into bed in the recovery position. If you're unsure how to do this, you can always find a video on YouTube that can show you exactly what to do, but basically it involves rolling the person onto their side and then gently tilting their head back. This helps ensure that if they do vomit whilst in this position, their airway is as open as possible. Make sure that you haven't left them lying on their bed facing the wall. You you want to be able to see their face. Once you've got them into this position, grab a pillow and fold it into two, halve it and wedge it behind their back. This will hopefully ensure that they don't roll over through the night into a dangerous position lying on their back. If you can, it's also not a bad idea to place another pillow in front of them as well. This would be best position so they can either hold on to it or just place there to help prevent them from rolling onto their front, where they could also struggle to breathe. Once you have got them onto the bed and in the recovery position, it is still important to monitor them. At the very least, this is a 10 minute sacrifice of your night where you are watching them carefully ensuring that they are breathing steadily, that they haven't vomited or rolled over onto their back. Now, it would be best if you could do this for between 30 minutes to an hour, but realistically, that's not always going to happen. So try to do the best you can or share the job with someone you trust. The major issue with looking after drunk people, particularly in terms of letting them go to bed, is that you can never be quite sure when they actually had their last drink. As a result, you can't know with any certainty that this is as drunk as they'll get. There could be more alcohol in their system that has not yet been absorbed into the bloodstream and hit their brain. In fact, there's a real possibility that they could actually get more drunk and their system will slow down even more, possibly even shutting down breathing altogether. Because of this, some people suggest that you should try to wake up the drunk person every five to 10 minutes or so during that first hour after you've put them to bed. This is done simply to make sure that they are actually able to be woken up and that they haven't lapsed into unconsciousness. That is, they haven't been poisoned and need urgent medical assistance. They don't need to have a conversation with you, but you need to see that there are signs of life. They open their eyes, they say something, or they even push you away. That's enough for you to know that at least at that point, they're still okay. The trouble with this piece of advice is that although it's absolutely the right thing to do, for most young people, it's a huge commitment. And if they've been drinking themselves, they're simply not going to do it. That's why it's best in these situations to ask a sober, responsible adult to help. I've met many parents over the years that have received a call to say that their teen had been found incredibly drunk somewhere, whether it be a party or a gathering, or sadly, all alone left by their friends in a park or at the beach and would they come and pick them up? It's amazing how many of these parents have said that when they got their child home they put them to bed and sat with them for the entire night. They didn't leave their side, monitoring them carefully just to ensure they were completely safe. Of course there are some young people who are willing to do that for their friends but it's a huge responsibility. Realistically it's much better to hand it over to a parent if you can. But if you are going to try to deal with this situation yourself and put a drunk friend to bed, here's a great little trick that a nurse once taught me that could be helpful. Before you do, take the time to quickly take your friend's pulse. Once you have, wait 10, 15 minutes and then take it again. What you need to see is that the pulse is either steady or getting stronger or faster. If it is dropping or slowing, that means it is highly likely that alcohol is still making its way to the brain and putting them to bed is potentially very dangerous. If that's happening, you've got to wait a little longer before doing it. It's just too risky. If you do end up making the decision that it is okay to leave them, you're satisfied that they are in a safer position as possible, and they do not appear to be at risk of alcohol poisoning, there are a couple of things you should put by the bed just in case. Firstly, place some sort of plastic container right next to the bed, just in case they wake up and need to throw up. I always say a plastic bucket is best, but any kind of container will do. It's also not a bad idea to leave some water for them to drink. It's not wise to leave a glass of water on the bedside table or whatever, as if the person is a bit disoriented and thrashes around, they could hit it or cause it to fall and smash. Drunk people and broken glass is not a good mix. A water bottle would be great, and if they wake up and want to take a couple of sips through the night, which many do, it's all ready for them. Over the years, I have looked after many drunk people. Considering I don't drink alcohol myself, the number is ridiculously high. Anyone listening to this who is also a non-drinker can most probably relate. I can tell you that looking after drunk people is certainly not easy and making sure they are safe as possible when they go to bed after a big night can be particularly challenging. Making sure you know the three little tests a drunk person has to pass before they can be put to bed is important. Remember those three questions are, can they walk? Can they talk? And can they answer a question? Now, of course, these are not foolproof and there's no guarantees, but at least they provide you with a useful guide. Of course, as always, if you find yourself in a situation that you do not feel comfortable with, you're just not sure what to do, don't hesitate to get someone to help you. At the very least, let a sober adult know what is happening, but if you think you need medical assistance, call 00 immediately. Well, that's the first episode of this series ended. I'd love to get your feedback on what you've heard and whether you found it helpful. If you did, and you think someone you know may be interested in listening, make sure you share the podcast with them. If you have a question on anything to do with this area, send it to me by email, and I'll do my very best to get it on a future episode of The Real Deal on Drugs. Thanks for listening, and stay safe.